Welcome to the very first episode of the Common Grace Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Story, and I could not be more excited for you to meet our very first guest, Chris Rindema. Uh, Chris is a singer-songwriter known for songs such as You're the Only One, How to Be Yours, and Springtime. Uh, I've personally been a big fan of Chris's music for a while, uh, but I've been absolutely blown away by Chris as a human as we've worked together on the new Cycles TV that he has helped us create over at CommonGraceThreads.com. In this episode, we talk about music, faith, and of course, where he finds common grace. And I could not be more excited for you to listen to our conversation. Uh, so without further ado, here is our interview with Chris Renzema. First off, the hardest hitting question of all, your last name is pronounced <laughs> uh, Renzema. Yeah. Renzema. Not Renzema. Not Renzema or Renzema. Um, I, I've really rarely heard people get it, uh, correct on the first go. So, um, this podcast is good. It's help, uh, helping spread the word <laughs> how to pronounce my last name. Well, man, there's so many things that I want to ask you about. Um, but I want to start off by taking us back a little bit. Uh, you grew up in Michigan, right? Yep. Yeah. Great. Uh, t- tell me a little bit just about growing up in your family and what all that was like. Yeah. Um, so I grew up, uh, my family was a military family. So I actually wasn't born in Michigan. I was uh, born in San Antonio, actually, oh, uh, on an Air Force base. Um, but by the time I was like 10, we were up there. Uh, my, both my parents are from there, uh, Michigan. And um, growing up there was, was uh, you know, <laughs> I live in the South now. It was colder. <laughs> uh yeah up there um but it was good we uh i i think i um i really lucked out um i have a really wonderful family and uh so i've always been very encouraging and very uh supportive of my very far-fetched dreams so um yeah has music always been your like dream from from pretty young from from like when i uh discovered it yes the thing i i've always been the kind of person that like when i get into something i get like really into it yeah and uh like before i played any instruments or anything i like when i was like 12 years old i got like super into running and just like yeah like trained for like half marathon when i was 12 and no way (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's just it, it's kind of just how my personality is but um i i picked up guitar when i was about probably about 13 um okay. and then it was you know i don't think i got on a treadmill ever again so <laughs> uh yeah it was sort of the new the new path for me but i've i've loved it for a long time definitely growing up not a lot of my family no one in my family like was pursuing music as a career in any capacity but there's always always music playing in our house and um they're just my parents are deep appreciators so That's it, awesome. uh, my mom especially um and so that I think that is a a helpful kind of base to start at even if you know they're not teaching you an instrument or something teaching totally. you to love music so in my mind Growing up in a military household, I would kind of envision 
maybe like things were a little bit more strict or kind of more like straight laced. I don't know if that's true or not, but growing up in a military family yet wanting to pursue a career in music that's a little bit more, you know, artistic and pushing the limits and stuff like that. Was was there any pushback from your family of wanting to, to do music as a career? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think I I was very lucky to grow up with both my parents are still together and um, they're very. Uh, my mom and my dad are are incredibly different people. Uh, like my so my dad is in the Air Force and he did uh, went through the Air Force in order to. They do um, this program that will pay for med school if you, oh, wow. you know, like you basically pay back in like years of military service. So uh, he put himself through med school uh, with the Air Force and is now a doctor. And my mom is, uh, has her own, um, she's a florist and does oh, like, no yeah, like flowers professionally and um so they're, they're such different thinkers. Uh, basically, I mean, the, the sort of creative side and the really pragmatic side were always present yeah. in the house growing up. And so I think when I started getting really serious about pursuing music, um, they were a lot more supportive than, um, you know, I even expected them to be. Dude, that's huge, man. I feel like having a family that supports you, especially in chasing a dream like that is unbelievable. Yeah. Huge blessings. When, when was the moment when it clicked of like, Oh, this could actually be a career. Yeah. I think it, it was kind of in stages. I, uh, I like consider myself a, like a somewhat conservative dreamer. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, like just, uh, that's maybe the, 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 my dad and me, you know, I am yeah. pretty pragmatic. And so when I, when I got into music, was getting excited about playing and that was kind of a similar uh, time as I was getting into the church. And, and so I think pretty early on when it was like, I love music, the, the top goal for me was, you know, maybe someday I could be a worship leader at a church or like gotcha. maybe someday, you know, I could play guitar for somebody or something like that. So it was all like very, uh, you know, the idea of like being a songwriter and an artist like was not on my horizon for a long time. Um, and not pretty much until um, I did, it wasn't um, technically YWAM, but it was very YWAM-like. Yeah. Uh, I did this program after high school and during that time I pretty much was like the one guy that could play guitar and they like uh they, they I like pretty much ended up leading worship like every day for this thing which was wonderful but it, yeah, totally. it definitely for me I think I kind of got maybe a little uh sick of playing other people's songs yeah totally and uh that was um at least like where the maybe the the desire to write my own music started to come up and um yeah it wasn't I probably wouldn't say I really thought of myself as even having the potential to pursue being an artist until I had like 
the whole first project like out for a oh, year. Really? Yeah. Cause no I, way. that was, uh, you know, that was such a kind of like labor of love, like do it cause you want to do it. And it was like, it was before I even like knew what Spotify was, you know, there was like no, <laughs> yeah, yeah there's like no strategy to it at all. It was like, I, I wrote, couple songs my friend mariah wrote a song we wrote a song together that equals four songs let's right. <laughs> record them and then literally it was like we put it out we had a release show where we played for like 20 minutes because that was all the music that we had <laughs> all the four. and then <laughs> right and then uh she she went into ywam moved to mexico and then i went to college in indiana so it was like a pretty definitive hey like we're not gonna do more with this yeah bye do it out there yeah and it it was sort of during the time following it like the about a year following putting out that first ep that i started to feel like hey like i actually really really like writing songs and and that's where i feel really connected and maybe that's something that i want to have be more part of my life than uh, just like a back burner type of thing while I pursue some other career. Dude, that's awesome. Do you remember the first song that you wrote that you thought was really good? Uh, man. Because cause like, I would assume that when everyone starts off writing, you write a song and you're like, I don't even know if this is good. I don't even know if this totally. makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's, the, that's, <laughs> that's totally the thing. Like, I think as soon as I picked up a guitar and started learning it, I always, I've always hated learning other people's songs. Like, really? I don't know. I just have like a very short attention span. Like I, you know, so like, I think there's like some old, one of those really old laptops that like was like our family computer that uh, has about like 200 of the most horrible, like garage band recordings that you've <laughs> ever heard in your life. Um, somewhere uh yeah I mean I just started like making little stuff up but it's like I never you know I never finished a song I never like you know I didn't think they were good I just liked making them and so it probably I mean it honestly might not have been till I wrote uh you're the only one that I was like hey this you know is is simple but it's not bad dude that's that's why because that was the very first song that I ever heard of of yours and I was uh leading at this college ministry thing and this girl yeah. was like hey you guys have to play this song you're the only one by this dude named Chris Renzima I think and uh <laughs> yeah right and so I remember thinking okay cool and you know I feel like there is now this sort of indie Christian scene where there's almost a pressure to pretend like you know who everybody is and so I remember hearing it thinking oh I don't, I don't recognize that name but I feel like I should and then uh, I looked you up and I was like, oh, this dude just like released this EP. But dude, like yeah. at least here in Texas, like that song blew up. I mean, everyone mm. was singing that song. And it's funny to hear you say that because I feel like it'd be so easy to be writing that, you know, back home and think, ah, it's simple, but I like it. I don't know if, know if it's good. And that one really simple tune was the thing that at least out out here like everyone knew who you were because Hmm. that song was so worshipful even in its simplicity and it's cool to kind of see the like the roots of all of that yeah man I mean it's pretty wild to think that like I mean truly 
it was such just a you know uh, to me for a long time it was that ep and, and those songs were just something that i did like it wasn't something i was planning to pursue uh and to see how like i mean i i just remember i got a spotify account like yeah <laughs> six like probably like six months after that project had come out and like it was on spotify like right distribute through something that sends it to everywhere and like looked at the numbers and i was like wait a second like wait so so you weren't even on spotify as a user no that's amazing yeah yeah i remember like looking it up being like oh i i just like i grew up in a you know i grew up uh we're like the last people to remember like what ownership and music felt like oh yeah for sure uh you know just like i had this very coveted pile of cds and before that like a very oh, coveted uh pile of tapes and then like after that like my itunes library i was like well each one of these represents a dollar that i've invested into like oh totally you know so i was very like uh i was very slow to transition to streaming because it felt like i was like giving up on this library that i built like over my entire youth which i mean is true but yeah you're, uh, I guess, trading it for all the music in the world. So yeah, <laughs> no, totally. Trade. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I was super resistant to it. So by the time I finally got it, that's when I like looked and I was like, oh, it appears that like there are human beings listening to this music. That's super weird. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure too, like you're like tra tracking where people are listening. I was like, I've never even been to that place before. How do they know who I am? Totally. Yeah. I mean, looking at the, the numbers, it's like Texas is totally that place. And it's like, oh, I've not been back to Texas since I was uh, born. So I, <laughs> it's definitely not, uh, it's not my like killer marketing campaign. Right. So. Dude, that's awesome. So uh, I saw a post that you posted recently of this epic photo of you at Red Rocks. And yeah. you had mentioned something in the caption about how like a year before that you were selling plasma for gas money and stuff like that when did you feel like things began to change where you moved from selling plasma to, Oh my gosh, like I'm on stage at red rocks to a sold out crowd. Yeah, man. It's, it's hard. It's like, I need to like be better at, uh, <laughs> uh, timelining my own life. Cause it does feel like sometimes it's just, uh, like one day I was doing that. And then the next day I woke up and I was, you know, not <laughs> anymore. <laughs> right. Uh, I think that transition, I got really serious about like making a, like making a go of it probably around like mid 2018. I okay. put in, uh, I just said put in, that's not <laughs> um, I had just released I'll Be the Branches, which had been kind of this, you know, pretty intense process of just working on it. Um, pretty nonstop for like nine months and uh had put it out and was feeling kind of discouraged but then had seen you know had started to see like uh you know if it was that was like the first time that I think somebody and I think it was in Texas it was someone in uh like Brian Texas uh reached out to me about playing in this backyard for like a young life event no way yeah, so it was like, and that was like the first time, you know, someone was like, hey, I like your music. I'm emailing you because I want you to play a show. And it was in a backyard, but it was like, oh, sweet. Like, you know, I, I don't 
get to play ever like yeah christian music is like not uh in nashville like it, you know there's not like a place to play it and like, in most <laughs> right. I, I mean in most places like unless it's being requested you know it's not deemed like cool enough <laughs> to, right there's, to, there's like, not like work. a bunch of christian venues totally so like uh you know that was i mean i look back at that and that was you know probably uh maybe like fall of 2018 where it's like you know flew to houston drove to Bryan, played for like you know maybe maybe sub 100 people in a backyard yeah. but it was like really exciting and totally and i just i started i i don't remember who gave me or who said this it might have might have been a friend might have been somebody else i never can remember but it's like basically this idea that like you try to say yes to everything until your schedule says no to it. Mm. And uh, so I pretty much just started like, if, if someone wanted me to come play something, whether it was like a, like a wedding or a, or a, like a young life fundraiser or just anything, you know, yeah. if it was a guitar in my hand and me singing my own songs, like I would do it. So I kind of like just flitted around the United States doing a bunch of weird stuff for like <laughs> a long, uh, a long time. And it, and it really didn't start to look like something until I, uh, I had done this tour or I had, I had agreed to come on to this tour as an opening act for another indie band. And we we're, it was like the first time I got the chance to really go around, you know, the better part of the, at least the East half of the United States. Yeah. Um, and I was going to cities I'd never been before and people were showing up and being really excited about my little wow. opening slot, which was like uh, so surprising to me and like really unexpected. And so um, finished that tour and started booking uh, my own shows in some of those cities again. And it was like this, I don't know, it was like this switch just flipped and I was able to... <laughs> transition from the, the the backyard with eight people to <laughs> actually playing some rooms and yeah. uh, it's just kind of in the the slow build from there that's awesome when you were just flying around playing whatever show you could what was like the weirdest show you ever played oh gosh okay um that's literally one of my favorite questions i played a um have you heard of gordon food service before no it's like it's like a company that like ships food around the okay. US. Um they are actually a company from Michigan. Okay. But that's not uh that wasn't like the connection, which was what was weird. Um but they they do this like big employee party like for <laughs> Christmas every okay. year. And it's like a like a big party and they're a big company. And so they do like this thing, like this they were into this convention center. And it was like these three different ballrooms. And in each room was like a different type of entertainment. There was like a reggae band in one. There was a, <laughs> there was a stand-up comedian in the other. There was like this, uh, some other kind of band. And then like, I was like one of the rooms. I was like the, the coffee chill room. No uh, way. Yeah. And it's like the owner of the company is a Christian. And so they're kind of like, snuck me snuck me into this thing like and so I show up and I'm like so confused and so it was like literally me like sitting on a stool playing for like three and a half hours no while people way. like kind of like 
milled in and out. And I was kind of like the room you'd go to if you were like, oh, wow, that, you know, been listening to loud music for a while. I'm going to go like right. chill for a second. So there's like times where I was like playing to like one couple. Oh <laughs> and, my like, gosh. It was super strange, but it was also like, I mean, I look back so fondly on it because it's like one of the first, that was one of the first times, you know, that the somebody offered to actually like pay me enough money to make like make rent and stuff yeah totally with a show and so uh that was definitely one of the weirder ones but uh i i appreciate that i got to do it that's so funny so like did did you just cycle through all of your stuff just over and over again oh my gosh i like i played every song that i'd ever written and then i like tried to play some covers but like again i'm bad at learning other people's (laughs) songs so i kind of like limped through some covers and then like i i had this thing that i would do kind of early on when nobody knew who the heck i was where i would um i would attempt to make up a song on the spot and just sing it no way uh, and see if like people (laughs) would like notice I mean, it, yeah. it was usually like because no one was paying attention. So you could just try to make something up and sing it through a PA system. So I did a little bit of that towards the That's end, around like 11 p.m. when like there were two people and I couldn't leave until it was like done. Right. So like <laughs> there's like no one in the room, but I still have to be playing music. <laughs> so oh my gosh, that's dude. when you, you try to, you know, try out some new song. We'll be right back. I don't know about you, uh, but I've spent a lot of my life feeling bored with the concept of grace. Now, don't get me wrong. I like grace. I appreciate grace. It's just so basic, so simple, so elementary. It's milk and not meat. As a result, I spent a lot of time just wanting something more. But what I've found is that my tendency to be bored with grace is not because grace is shallow, but rather because my perspective is. All this time where I felt like I was swimming in the shallow end was really because I had just never been given the equipment to explore the wondrous depths of God's grace. If you resonate with that, then the Common Grace book is for you. We sat down to explain how the long-forgotten doctrine of common grace actually has the power to reshape how we think about God. It is an invitation for all who feel bored in their faith to explore the depths of God's grace. You can find it on Amazon or at commongracethreads.com. I want to talk for a second about uh, the shirt that you helped us yeah. co-design. Um, so, you know, our shirts uh, essentially are designed to celebrate God's common grace. And for those listening who are unfamiliar with the idea of common grace, it is this uh, theological idea that God is so gracious and so kind that he blesses all of mankind with incredible things, regardless of their belief in him, right? So, you know, an illustration I use a lot is like taste buds, right? That, you know, God could have chosen to create us in a way where we fueled our bodies without the joys of, you know, taste buds and, you know, aromas and all that stuff. And so part of God's common grace is every single person on the planet gets to enjoy flavors. And that's just a really common way that we see God's, you know, kindness in the world. So you helped us create this really incredible shirt that we're calling yeah. this cycles tea. Um, tell people one kind of where you find common grace and kind of how that inspired this specific shirt. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. I mean, when you guys reached out, I think it was, it was cool because your whole mission statement uh, concept, I think 
uh, paired really well with like sort of where my head has been um, for the last year or so uh, in thinking about God. Um, I, I just put out an album like four-ish. I don't know when this comes out. Four-ish months ago. <laughs> that's like it's totally inadvertently, but I, I mean, that's the way that like songwriting can be this like weird form of therapy where yeah, you don't totally. realize what you, you need to go through until you're going through it. I like looked back on the record and when we were wrapping it up and I was like, wow, I like just hammered on this, this metaphor of seasons just over and over and over. And like yeah, the, totally. the concept of, of how there's like, like a time and a place for everything. So like, uh, like cycles in the t-shirt, which is so cool and shout out to y'all's designer. Um, Cause I, I just love how like, abstract and compelling it is yeah yeah mj killed it absolutely um this idea that like when i think so often in the life of of not not just a christian right like just anybody like we look at seasons and we think um you know spring is the time where things grow and like summer is the time where we like thrive and and so those are like the good times those are the times to always try to get back to and then like fall and winter are these times of of death and 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 they're not times we traditionally think of as like you know (laughs) living our best life you know right Uh, totally yeah but what we see in those things is that like there is this cyclical nature to the way that the world was designed that what winter has begun to mean to me is hope because it Mm. means you know you can't have one without the other winter always leads to spring there's, there's something so uh, necessary in like the kind of ebb and flow, mountaintop, valley, uh, just seasonal, cyclical nature of life that we can look at these things and see that the same way that we like know that that thing's coming, we can have so much hope when we're in something that is like really tough yeah totally like the like all you have to do is look out the window to see that like things can survive through really difficult things because they are designed to right and uh and that just yeah i think that's the that cycles to me dude i i think that's so incredible man because you're absolutely right there is a sense of hope that we have even in like the seasons of winter whether that's a physical season or like a metaphorical season where mm. we f- find ourselves in places where it's like I just feel like everything is just kind of dying and it's cold and gray and dreary yet we know that like every season will eventually morph into the next one you know and there's so Absolutely. much hope in all those seasons to look forward to what God's going to do next and that every season eventually comes to, to an end eventually totally. we go through that season again but that season yeah. will will come to an end which is i think a, a level of hope that i think the world needs right now especially absolutely yeah i think it, it's it can be so uh counterintuitive as well and i think that for someone like me who's like very prone to overthink things understanding that like 
it, it doesn't always look like it actually makes sense. Like I remember the first time I was driving through, uh, driving through a field, like a, a cornfield that a farmer had uh, scorched. You ever uh-huh. seen that? Yeah. Um, I was so confused. I was like, oh, what could, <laughs> like what catastrophe fell on this right. farmer that like his entire <laughs> cornfield got burned? Oh, totally. And then, you know, the dude sitting next to me who'd like grown up in the farmlands, like, no, like you do that on purpose so that like next season, like the soil will be totally reinvigorated, reoxygenized, and will be able to to grow so much better than if they hadn't burned it. And I was like, whoa, you know, just and I think that stuck with me, this idea that like like death and life are kind of this like loop in a way that I think we see so, I mean, beautifully stated in Jesus yeah. that uh, there's this, this period of uh, death that, that, is, that comes before uh, like growth and life. And it's, it's cool that like, man, if, you, if you're an, uh, an atheist farmer <laughs> you, right. who's, who's scorching a field, like you understand that reality without believing in, in god who yeah literally created soil to do that yeah and created soil to do something that's so counterintuitive to the way that we operate you know 100 percent. yeah because that's the thing right like we we're constantly looking to be you know on on the the highest point at all times and that's just like not reality or just can't oh, yeah. be reality and so like the next best thing to always being on the mountaintop is understanding that there is like this deep significance and purpose to the valleys. Dude, that's so, so true. So, so true. Going back to your music for a second, is there anything on the album that when you were writing it, you thought, I want to capture that idea the best I possibly can? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of times when I'm writing, most of the time when I'm writing, I just sort of follow you know, kind of the, the muse, wherever it's going. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't typically, um, I heard somewhere that like Coldplay will like select like song titles they think are cool and then like write a song with that song title, oh, which no I way. think is like, I think that's awesome because cool song titles. I mean, they have some of the coolest song titles uh, for sure. Um, uh, and actually, the first song I've ever done that with was the title track of the record, Let the Ground Rest. Oh, cool. Where the first song, well, actually not quite the first. First track I wrote for the record was actually 17. And then the second one was Springtime. But Springtime okay. became this, I, I could tell it was sort of like, that was the crux of a lot of the ideas and, and themes. And I, I really, really wanted to have this uh, sort of Sabbath song like this idea that like you know before before springtime you know the ground has to rest that's right and that's just this deep beautiful truth and so i had that title and i didn't really know what it was going to be and uh when i sat down to write it it all just sort of flowed out i think it's like kind of the culmination of a lot of those things i've been meditating on um that song is is totally it's just about this uh very you know sort of uh agricultural metaphor for like how we go through our lives always uh 
like looking for that payoff moment. Mm, yeah. But uh, there's like just this, I mean, there's a, like a divine purpose to our waiting. And, yeah. Um, man, I, it's like, sometimes I write a lot. Of, I mean, a lot of times I write songs and then I record them and then I don't listen to them or really think <laughs> about them again. Yeah. Uh, and let me tell you what, like going straight into a pandemic. Uh, oh my gosh. This, <laughs> you know, with some of these songs yeah. like coming out, it's, it's been cool just even for me to, to listen to them and be like, man, uh, you know, I like, I wrote songs about this like rest, winter, uh, barren time when I wasn't even experiencing that. And then they totally. came out like right after like tour canceled, uh, basically everyone's life canceled, you know? <laughs> right. so, um, yeah, I think it was, it was timely for sure. Dude, yeah, I think that's so cool about how the Lord oftentimes works because I, I do feel like your album is kind of like the soundtrack to the pandemic in a really unique mm -hmm. way, or at least it has been for me and a lot of people I know where these songs came out and they gave us a chance to really embrace the waiting that a lot of us are forced to do, you know? And I think that for oh. a lot of people, they're in places where for better, for worse, like the task before them is just to wait this thing out and whatever that looks like in your context. And that's such a hard thing for us to do. And I think to just reaffirm what you were saying, like when you look in the scriptures, so many of the incredible things that the people of God have gotten to see God do is after a time of waiting, you know, like where absolutely it's like, Hey, just sit still and just wait. And I mean, how many Psalms, right. Just talk about, mm just waiting on the Lord and just being still and silent before him. And I think in our culture, that's so busy, so fast paced, waiting almost feels passive. You know, it feels like, well, totally. I should be doing something. I should be, you know, taking advantage of something or, you know, and just, and just being in sitting and being silent and still. And it's so counterintuitive for how we operate in our culture. And so, you know, dude, I, I, I love the album and uh, if oh, people haven't great. listened to it, they absolutely should because it's uh, very timely for what's happening right now. Let's do some fan questions. We had some, some people yeah. uh, send in some questions for you um, and there's some good ones in here. So uh, first question yeah. uh, from an Instagram user named at mad underscore Claire. Uh, shout out to her. She asked, if you could only play one venue for the rest of your life, what venue would that be? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> man, you know, it's weird because, like, I've gotten to play some pretty incredible places that I think are, you know, uh, pretty iconic. Um, but I don't know if, like, I don't know if I would, like, choose Red Rocks, you know. I think... Uh, I have like kind of two rooms that I think are my favorite. I've uh, I've played Common Grounds a couple times, oh, yeah. and that uh, that has always been such a fun night. I love the open air kind of vibe. It's it's a good one. And then, man, uh, there's this room we got to play in Los Angeles uh, called Bootleg Theater. Oh yeah, and it was like it's like a they do like actual like theater there oh no way um yeah and uh i don't know what it was about it i just thought it was like really charming and uh really loved that room i would love to get back there someday 
That's awesome. So I've been to Comic Ground multiple times, and that is one yeah. of the coolest places to watch a show uh, for, for sure, sure. Just because I mean, they're like it's just always energized. So that's cool. Wow. Shout out to Waco. Waco. Waco, Texas. All right. Um, <laughs> this question comes from. I'm going to botch this name. It's at ts.sar. So maybe Sarah. I don't know. Uh, but she asked, what was the first song that sure. you wrote that was also <laughs> released? Okay. Um, I think the first song that I wrote uh, was probably the song Used to Be Mine. Okay. Um, I wrote that, I mean, for a long time, you know, before I started thinking like, when I write a song, it even has the possibility of being released. You know, I'd write something and then I'd just kind of like make a voice memo of it and forget about it for, I mean, basically. <laughs> uh, so I remember I wrote that song. I like woke up. It was when I was doing uh, a YWAM-esque thing. Uh, yeah. And it's like, you know, I'm in this house that has like, 13 14 people in it and it's like old and creaky and i'm like had this idea and i like creep into this room play it like <laughs> super super <laughs> quiet uh and i wish i still had that little voice memo of it uh somewhere but i think that was probably the first one uh that i wrote that has made it onto a record that and uh i wrote the verses of the song fountain yeah like so long before that song actually got like, really? finished and released yeah it was strange there was like a long period of time where i would take like a couple years to finish a song not because i was working on it but because i'd like write part of it six months would go by i would just like have an idea pop in my head i'd write another part of it and then like fountain was like three parts that happened at different times over like three years no way that's awesome because yeah. because that was on the on the branches album yep yeah okay nice man yeah. um all right question from at jenny marie 2319 shout out Je jenny marie. uh <laughs> she asked uh what is the most life-giving part of writing songs that's a great question um i think the most life-giving part that i've seen this probably i'll have probably two answers for this first one is it's that sort of uh accidental like processing therapeutic kind of element right um i i look back at songs that i wrote and i'm like what was whoa okay like that's what i was going through that's what i was thinking and like i couldn't verbalize that that's like what my heart was up to but i wrote a song about it and that's that's kind of like a cool strange way that our brains work i think you know yeah. trying to get something out like before you really know how or what you're experiencing totally. um and probably the second is it's been such an insane blessing and like really unexpected blessing uh seeing how people have taken the songs and really made them their own mm. thing like incorporated them into their own story their own lives i think that's like you know, it's something you don't expect could even happen when you, you never thought that anyone would ever listen, right? And so, like, yeah, totally. it's like seeing how people have have heard songs like You're the Only One and, and How to Be Yours and, like, made, like, use them as, you know, wording for their own experiences and stories. 
and really it's like at this point it almost doesn't even feel like those songs like belong to me in in that sense anymore because they're just sort of everybody's song now and I think that's really cool dude that's awesome is there like a story that sticks out to you that you've heard over the years of how one of your songs has really had an impact on someone um I don't know if there's like a specific story but I think one of my favorites is like I mean with that song how to be yours in particular I think that song gets confused for not being about God probably (laughs) more than uh more than the other songs that I have have even potential to be confused um which has been cool like (laughs) this is probably not super deep but (laughs) in, in like in some sense it is uh I saw somebody pointed out like a YouTube comment or something on that song where it's like some guy basically being like man like I don't you know I don't even believe in God but this song is like really good <laughs> and it's like, that I mean that's cool that like that there's this ability to stretch beyond like there's I mean Christian music is often by its nature you know it's serving christians right and this sort of like uh evangelistic arm of music is is often really ineffective because like that's you know people go to music to to reinforce what they believe not like Mm. learn new things at least i think a lot of the time and so to have a song that's like i mean when i wrote that song i had absolutely no intention of it being obscure like uh, on that point, you know, yeah. I think to me, it has always felt very clearly about right. what it's about. Um, but if it can kind of stretch over that line and, and be a song that people enjoy, you know, I've seen it on like breakup playlists and stuff. No like, way. Man, there is some wacky, <laughs> I don't know. It's like that song is either about God or the most codependent relationship to ever <laughs> exist. And so, like, uh, I'm sorry, but <laughs> no, totally. That's incredible. But but it's cool. I mean, it's like, man, if if you can hear, you know, what God is saying about you, and you don't even know Him, uh, that is like a, that is an insane, like, just really cool thing that I never expected uh, my music could do. Dude, so. totally. I have a theory that it is only the Holy Spirit that anyone got saved between the years of 1990 and the year 2000. Because if you listen to Christian music from back in the day, like it's so bad. Right. And so like, <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. if you want to like, you know, just see evidence for the sovereignty of God, just listen to Christian music from the nineties. And it's like, wow, people still got saved. That's incredible. Um, because I, and I say that because I think that oftentimes Christian music is kind of seen as, yeah, it's like music, but like worse than what other music is. <laughs> And um, I feel like you've done a really phenomenal job at creating music that's about Jesus and even like music that you could sing in a church setting in, you know, a corporate setting for worship, but you create stuff that, you know, a guy who would openly say, Hey, I don't believe in God, but like this song is dope. Like, (laughs) what do you think the key is in creating music that is glorifying music that makes much of Jesus, but it's also quality. That's like really good that people who don't, know Jesus still want to listen to? Uh, without getting too far into it, I, I do thank uh, the Lord that uh, my parents did not raise me on Christian music at all. Um, <laughs> so there's no influence, which I think is probably inadvertently helpful. Yeah, honestly. Uh, 
but I think, I mean, the big thing for me, man, is when I, you know, got the chance to go into the studio for the very first time, it was, I, I've grown up, you know, it's sort of like I, I got obsessed with Jesus in mu- and music, like right around the same time. Oh, and obviously, cool. like, obviously Jesus is much more my love than, <laughs> than music. <laughs> right. But there's this, this thing where it's like, man, like, if you're going to write a song about Jesus and you really love music and you really love Jesus, like, you gotta like the music. Like, you totally, come on. yeah. <laughs> so, like, for me, it's it's always been, like, man, if, if I wouldn't listen to this song, like, if it was about anything, I right. just wouldn't listen to it, then it's not going to make it onto a project. It's not going to be, like, what I sound like. Like, I think a lot of Christian music, and not to go too deep into it, because, you know, but, uh, you know, it, there can be this, like, chicken or the egg kind of conundrum that happens, yeah. where it's, like, do you sound like other Christian music so that you can be a part of it or do you just make good music that sounds like you and is about Jesus and then if you're a part of it cool if not whatever yeah Uh, and so the sort of like I go in and I'm like all right like the references that I want to like the inspiration I want to pull from is like uh all these bands that I think are objectively dope and don't talk about Jesus and Jesus you know like those are the inspirations and so yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, I, I think so much about making good art is not necessarily knowing what you want to do, but just knowing when you like don't like knowing what you shouldn't do. I think yeah, is, totally is, is more of it than than not. Yeah, well, dude, I speak for everyone when I say thank you for making Christian music that's not awful, because <laughs> thank you. there's a lot of that out there, man. All right, last thing. We're going to bring on our uh, our winner of the Instagram contest. Uh, her name is Kelly Ballard. So let me bring her in here. Kelly. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Welcome to the podcast. Excited to have you. Thanks. Uh, you are on with Chris. So Hey, let's... Kelly. What's up? Hi. <laughs> Sorry, I just like... Totally interrupted you, Josh, there. <laughs> oh, no, you're good, man. Um, yeah, so Kelly, ask away. Okay, well, nice to meet you. Um, yeah, nice to meet you, too. I think that, you know, like a, a lot of people don't get to meet someone whose, like, music has meant a lot to them. And so, first of all, just thank you. Um, I went through a really tough season in my life, and your music was really, like, such a grace um, mm. and such a gift from the Lord. And so, thank you for that. Um uh. But I guess one question I've always wondered is what inspired the song, How to Be Yours? Um, Mm -hmm. That's been one that I've always wondered about. Yeah, it's a good question. Thank you for asking it. Um, Yeah, that song is uh, kind of an interesting writing process. I was actually just chatting with Josh before this kind of about some of my process. And uh, a lot of times when I'm writing a song, like I'll write, one part and then kind of chill and not work on it for a long time and then come back and write another part and uh how to be yours was written at basically two entirely separate times so um there's this period of my life where i was living uh i was part of this prayer house community in michigan and they had this room that was just like a big open prayer room and i would go in there at night and kind of just 
wander around with a guitar and sing and uh, just by myself. And I uh, I wrote the the verse and the the verses and the chorus of that song in one of those times. And I think it was just this very uh, from deep down, you know, in in like deep down in your psyche, kind of this just confessional thing that I was like, man, like I, I, like, I know all this stuff. Like I've learned so much about God and I've learned so much about what he says about me and that he says that he loves me. But like when I'm walking around and when I'm screwing up, it's just like, I don't feel like the person that I read that, you know, Jesus is talking about applies to me. And, and this kind of this, I mean, it's like in that, in those prayer spaces uh, of conversation, um, just being really colloquial with the Lord, you know, like uh, the same way that, you know, I would talk to a friend or, or talk to a parent, um, you know, basically uh, just speaking from my end. And I wrote, you know, <laughs> I think the last lyric that I wrote in that kind of time was just like, I don't know how to be yours. Like that's, that's it. And so walked away that, that was like the song for a long time. Um, and I still remember where I was. I was like driving uh, through like a construction zone, uh, kind of like, you know, through a bunch of traffic cones and stuff when I, I felt like, the words of the bridge just kind of started to like pour over me. Um, and they, you know, it's like, like I had sort of said my piece kind of like yelled into the storm, all of the, just the feelings, you know, and then like the truth coming down uh, from Jesus of just like, you can feel all those feelings and like, there's nothing wrong with that because like my love for you doesn't change just because you don't feel like you qualify for it or just because you feel like you've, you've screwed up one too many times. And um, yeah, it kind of became this, uh, I, the bridge for me, I, I mean, I wrote it, but I think more than anything, I feel like I felt like I was told that and then just <laughs> started singing it. So. Yeah. I don't know if that answered your question. No, but, it totally uh, does. It totally does. Cool. That's great. Yeah. I think, like, one thing I love about that song is, like, as Christians, I think sometimes, like, we want to give the right answer and, like, not the mm. honest one. And I feel like yeah. that song is really, like, the honest words. Um, so I've always really loved that. But uh, yeah, thank you. I guess with that, like, when you're, like, learning about the Lord and, um, like just experiencing him in like your private life, like how do you separate that with what you write and like what you share or do you? Um, and is mm. that hard? Like, I feel like that would be such a vulnerable and like hard place, uh, but also like really beautiful. So how do you balance yeah. that? That's a, that's an incredible question, honestly, because I think there's definitely been, uh, <laughs> there's been a wide range of, of, uh, like how good I am at that, you know, um, because I think when I, you know, when I wrote a lot of the songs on I'll Be the Branches and um, the projects before that, you know, there was no, there was no one paying attention, you know, so it was a very like, this is my quiet time, my like quiet space with the Lord, like what I'm processing and going through and then like making it, you know, a recording 
was kind of just this extension of, of me like working through these things and then like people paying attention was sort of this secondary thing that was like oh like what it, you know this is weird um and so yeah i think it's absolutely been a um struggle is not the right word uh, definitely like i've i've needed to be disciplined in really cherishing uh my time with the lord that's like truly just my time with the lord um because i think it can really quickly you know if you're a songwriter or a pastor or anything that's like this this forward facing uh voice in christianity you can sort of take your experiences with god and always be looking to turn them around and like hand them to somebody else and i think uh the more that I've like read and spent time with like who the person of Jesus was, is he was just constantly getting away from the crowd, getting away from his apostles to spend time with the father. And instead of being someone that uh, poured out till he was empty, he uh, was filled until he was overflowing. And so uh, I think for me, the gauge is, you know, I, I want to be Christ-like, like we're called to be. And, and that means, you know, for me, it's like, if I'm, if what I'm sharing and what I'm giving is, isn't overflow, then that's good. If it's pouring out the last drops that I have, then like, I need to go, you know, I need to go back to those quiet places and just spend time with the Lord with no uh, utility or function because uh, that's like what Christ would do. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I definitely think like if I were in your position, that would be really hard for me. Um, so I think that that's really honorable and just like noticing that you need that time um, for yourself and then also just like pouring out. But okay, so I've had like a couple serious questions, but I always <laughs> ask this really silly question to my friend, my friends, and I, I think it tells a lot about a person. So yep. if you could be any potato product, what would you be <laughs> and why? <laughs> Wow. Um, Great question. <laughs> man, it's really like it's challenge as to like my knowledge of potato products, honestly. Okay, but there are a lot. Like we're talking there are about a lot. brands and you, li you live in Tennessee, correct? I do, yeah. So you've got like a lot of good options. <laughs> That's true. Man, um, you know, it's like my mind immediately goes to just like, oh, shoot. That's, that's tough. That's like the toughest question you've asked so far. Um, <laughs> You know, a lot of breakfasts in the morning, I chop up a potato and I uh, cook it in a pan. I'd probably be that potato nice. because that is my most consistent engagement with potatoes in my <laughs> life. So either that or like a Mr. Potato Head. Uh, that's a good boy. one. You would, you know, never get eaten. So that's a perk. <laughs> it's true. And I'd be incredibly adaptable. So Yeah, super flexible. But <laughs> <laughs> That's an incredible question. Yeah, is there like a, a psychological codex behind it? Like... You know, the only one I've pinned down is like, if you say you want to be a Chick-fil-A fry, like you're probably very classic, you know? Yeah, like... <laughs> that makes sense. My mind did not go to the Chick-fil-A fry. There you go. So, so you I don't know what that means like about me. <laughs> yeah. Great, I want to be a plastic potato. That's the real. <laughs> cool. That's hilarious. Love it. Kelly, thank you so much for hopping on. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah great totally. to meet you. Yeah, you yeah. as well. Please use the potato question going forward. So. Yeah, we'll do. Honestly. <laughs>
nice. Well, you guys have a good day. Okay. Yeah, you too. Good to meet you. See ya. Well, dude, thank you so much for giving us your time and hopping on here. Oh, absolutely, man. And it's been fun uh, catching up and talking. Uh, before we close, where can people learn all about you, buy your albums, all that stuff? Yeah. Um, I, uh, well, I'm on the internet. I, uh, I use the <laughs> internet. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm just Chris Renzema on like all the, all the things. ChrisRenzema.com is great for buying stuff if you're into buying stuff. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, in general, just Spotify is a good spot. If you're old, you can use iTunes. If you're we're really old, paying for some. yeah. If you're really old, you can buy a CD off of me in an alley <laughs> somewhere. Cool. Well, let the ground rest. Go check it out. The Chris Renzema Cycles T Common Grace Threads. Go check that out as well. Excited for all that's coming up. Chris, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks so much. Take care. Well, man, I hope that you enjoyed our conversation with Chris Renzema. Uh, make sure you head over to commongracethreads.com to pick up a limited edition Cycles Tea while supplies last. Uh, you can always get 15% off any purchase when you use code PODCAST at checkout. If you liked what you heard today, we'd be so appreciative if you would subscribe or rate uh, the podcast on your preferred platform. Believe it or not, it actually really does go a long way. Um, but again, thank you so much for tuning in to the Common Grace podcast. We'll see you all next time.